It's Monday, March the 7th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, second temporary ceasefire fails, and Putin calls for Russia's demands to be met. First, the world in brief. A second temporary ceasefire in Mariupol, a port in southeastern Ukraine, failed. Both sides blame each other for the breakdown of the truce, which was intended to allow civilians to flee. Ukrainian authorities said Russian shelling had resumed. The first ceasefire collapsed on Saturday. The city is on the verge of a, quote, humanitarian catastrophe, according to a Ukrainian government spokesman. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, promised retaliation for Russia's, quote, deliberate murder. In an address to Ukrainians, he said, quote, we will find every bastard who shot at our cities, our people. Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, said his country's assault on Ukraine will end only when Ukrainians stop resisting and his government's, quote, well-known demands are met. According to a Russian government readout of a call with Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, on Sunday, Mr Putin said Russia's military operation was going according to plan. Earlier, he had claimed Western sanctions were akin to a declaration of war and that any country which imposed a no-fly zone over Ukraine would be deemed to have joined the conflict. Visa and MasterCard said they would suspend their operations in Russia. Cards issued in the country will be usable for domestic transactions until they expire. But Russian customers will not be able to make international payments, nor will cards issued abroad work for payments to Russian vendors. American accounting firms, KPMG and PricewaterhouseCoopers, also announced that they would stop doing business in Russia. A priest who gave an anti-war sermon in a village in Russia was arrested and charged with, quote, discrediting the use of the armed forces, which the Russian parliament made a crime last week. More than 13,000 people have been detained across the country for protesting the war, with 4,600 arrests on Sunday alone, according to OVD Info, an independent monitoring group. Those living in Ukrainian cities held by Russian forces have also been protesting. America said it intends to enact a humanitarian, economic and military aid package worth $10 billion to Ukraine this week. Britain also pledged to send more defensive equipment and $100 million to help pay Ukrainian public sector workers and fund social security payments. Meanwhile, Elon Musk, the boss of SpaceX, agreed to send more Starlink satellite internet terminals, allowing more Ukrainians to access the internet. Oil prices soared to a 13-year high as America and its allies considered banning imports of Russian oil. Antony Blinken, America's Secretary of State, said that his country and European partners were discussing a coordinated way to ban Russian oil while ensuring, quote, an appropriate supply of oil on world markets. The price of Brent crude, the international benchmark, touched $139 a barrel during early trading on Monday before settling at about $130. Other news. Denmark will hold a referendum in June on joining the EU's defence policy, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Danes voted to opt out almost 30 years ago. 
Libya's National Oil Company said an armed group had closed two oil fields, reducing output by 330,000 barrels a day. The country has Africa's biggest oil reserves and produced around 1.2 billion barrels a day before the shutdown. Russia threatened to derail talks to revive the nuclear deal between Iran and world powers, demanding written guarantees that sanctions over Ukraine would not affect its trade with Iran. And fact of the day, $121 billion, the stock of foreign bank loans to Russian companies. And now, here's today's agenda. How fake news went mainstream. This December will mark 10 years since a gunman entered Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, and murdered 20 children and 6 staff, before turning the gun on himself. The words, quote, Sandy Hook, evoke not just the massacre, but also a turning point in America's long flirtation with conspiracy theories. A book by Elizabeth Williamson, a reporter for the New York Times, published on Tuesday, investigates the collective delusion and malice of conspiracists who denied that the shooting happened, or asserted that it was a government plot meant to stoke anti-gun sentiment. Sandy Hook, an American tragedy in the battle for truth, also traces how these hoaxes, and the social media platforms that enabled them, have helped chip away at American democracy. Many of the same websites and conspiracists that gained an audience peddling nonsense about Sandy Hook abandoned truth in service to the quote, big lie, that Donald Trump won the presidential election in 2020. By invitation, Nicholas Mulder on sanctions. This is an excerpt from a guest essay by an assistant professor in the history department of Cornell University in New York. What will the effect be of the sanctions on Russia? The initial financial shock will surely be severe, leading to serious inflation and popular misery. Yet there is reason to expect that, if Russia weathers this immediate crisis, it will thereafter lumber on at low or negative growth rates for some time. Iran suffered acute currency crises in 2012 and 2018 as a result of Western sanctions, but after initial contractions, it adjusted and stabilised. Russia has been more tightly integrated into the world economy, but it also possesses a much broader economic base, larger fiscal revenues, and a more diversified export sector than Iran. Russia's economic isolation will have dramatic repercussions for the world economy. This is a function of its role as a leading supplier of several key commodities. Comprehensive sanctions against Iran and Venezuela affected the world economy, mainly in specific segments of the oil market. But the Western sanctions will certainly force painful adjustment and affect Russia's ability to furnish its variegated share of the world's commodity basket. 6% of aluminium output, 7% of nickel supply, 12% of crude oil production, 18-19% to of wheat and natural gas exports, and a quarter of copper supply. Apple's Victory Lap On Tuesday, Apple is expected to unveil its first new gadgets of 2022. One may be a laptop powered by the second version of the computer chips it designs in-house. 
The quote M2 chip, if announced, would be a testament to the success of Apple's design. Almost all of its products are now powered by its own chips. That gives the firm more control and better profit margins than it had when using other companies' designs. Apple's impressive performance has contributed to record sales. It sold $11 billion worth of Mac computers last quarter. Other companies have taken note. Google and Amazon have launched their own chips in recent years. Microsoft and Facebook are working on designs. The shift has upended the semiconductor industry. TSMC, a Taiwanese manufacturer that makes chips designed by Apple and other firms, is a $549 billion geopolitically important company. Intel, an American firm whose designs once powered the world's Macs, is trying to become a contract manufacturer too, with the express aim of one day making Apple's chips. Ukraine takes Russia to the International Court of Justice Another court, another crime. On March 2nd, the International Criminal Court, which prosecutes individuals, launched an investigation into war crimes in Ukraine. On Monday, the International Court of Justice, which judges governments, hears allegations of genocide. But these are not accusations against Russia. Rather, Ukraine wants the court to rule that Russia's own allegations of genocide against Ukraine in the breakaway regions of Donetsk and Luhansk are false and contrary to international law. Russia accepts the authority of the ICJ, unlike that of the ICC. But Ukraine does not expect its neighbour to bow to the court's verdict. It is not clear that the Russians will even show up. Their defence is due on Tuesday. Instead, Ukraine hopes that a verdict in its favour would strip Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, of any vestige of legal pretext for an invasion, which, he claims, was launched to stop the supposed genocide. Finland and Estonia discuss the Russian threat. Finns and Estonians understand each other well. Their languages are related, and both know what Russian invasions are like. How to deter another incursion from the east will be under discussion when Finland's Prime Minister, Sanna Marin, meets her counterpart, Kaja Kallas, in Tallinn, Estonia's capital, on Monday. Miss Kallas expects Miss Marin to update her on whether Finland might join NATO. Estonia, which was occupied by the Soviet Union in 1940-1991, joined the alliance eagerly in 2004. Finland ceded a portion of its territory to the Soviets in 1940, but avoided annexation and stayed neutral during the Cold War and afterwards. It coordinates its defence alliances with Sweden, which has kept out of every war since Napoleon. Russia's invasion of Ukraine may change their approach. Some polls in Finland and Sweden show narrow majorities in favour of joining NATO. But on Saturday, Miss Marin and Sweden's Prime Minister, Magdalena Andersson, reportedly agreed to seek merely upgraded non-member status. Both countries' militaries cooperate closely with NATO anyway. Daily Quiz You know the drill by now. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses 
and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quiz espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which opera, written by Richard Thomas and Stuart Lee, centres on an American talk show host? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Pete Mondrian, who was born on this day in 1872. Intellect confuses intuition. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.